You know, we've been talking about this subject, the fellowship of the Spirit, which basically is the church of Jesus Christ. And our definition that we came up with was the church is a fellowship of the Spirit carrying out the mission of Christ to reach a lost and dying world, discipling believers, destroying the works of darkness, and shining the light of the glory to the nations. And today, as we've mentioned, around the world is often called among church uh, tradition Palm Sunday. And that's okay. I don't mind that name. You know, it, it, it mentions the palms. But why don't we call it Coat Sunday? Why don't we call it Coat Sunday? Because they didn't just cast their palms down. They also cast their coats down, their literal clothing. They threw on the ground so that the, that the donkey would walk across their own coats with Jesus on it. And I want to read about that real quick. John chapter 12, verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt, or a donkey's foal. The reason that this is so important is because this is the beginning of what we like to call the Passion Week or the Holy Week. It begins with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords riding in as we didn't expect. Come on, a king would have come in on a great white horse, right? But Jesus found a young donkey's foal and came riding in. Showing his humility, showing that he was truly a king, but he was a humble king. He was the prince of peace, mighty God, everlasting father. And he was the one who declared that I will come back again. I'm coming back again. And how many of you know he's not coming on a donkey's colt then? Oh, come on, somebody now. This last time I checked was a charismatic Pentecostal church. I'm telling you, he is not coming back on a donkey next time. He's coming back on a great white horse. He's coming back as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that he already and always has been. But he's going to show forth his glory in that moment. He's coming back again. So we can sing Hosanna, we can sing about the Savior of the world, and I think we should, but we need to understand the full context that he's coming back again. Can we just say thank you, Jesus? Thank you, Jesus, that you're coming again so soon, God. We look for your soon appearing, God, and we will shout, we will sing. Now and then, Lord, we will sing your praises. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, speak through your word today, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Soon after his entrance, John records a dialogue, a few verses later, if you want to flip down there to verse 20. It says, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival, and they came to Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, with a request, Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told 
Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now, Friday night, we are going to be doing uh, our first ever prayer and praise Good Friday service. It's going to be at 630. We're going to probably go about an hour and a half or as long as you want to go. But we want to come in this place. We're going to have communion and we're going to celebrate what Jesus just spoke about. We're going to celebrate the death of Jesus. And you say, that's strange. No, it's not. If you're a believer, you know it's not. Why? Because his death was our life. His death, seeming his ending in this world, was our beginning to new life. So he goes on and says in verse 25 of John chapter 12, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates, or the word there means love less, their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now here's where I really want to get to. There's a lot of sermon material there that I just went through. And we'll cover some of that next Friday or this Friday and Sunday. But I want to go to verse 27. It says, Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Do you see? We talk a lot about in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was almost struggling and saying, if this cup could pass from me. But do you see all the way back at the triumphal entry on that night after this great pomp and circumstance, he's sitting with his disciples and a group of people, probably a group of a hundred or so disciples are sitting there with him. And even at that moment, he's saying, what is my purpose? What is my reason? Should I skip the hardship. Should I go past the suffering? No. No. This is the reason I came to this hour. Then he said in verse 28, Father, glorify your name. And what happens next is just nothing short of awesome. Then a voice came from heaven and said, I have glorified it. And I will glorify it again. Now, I know some of you don't like it when I, when I shout and when I get a little loud. But I need for you to understand the context of what just happened, and you'll see it. So I'm going to say that again. Now, a voice came from heaven and said, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Now, you say, how do you, how do, why do you think God said it that way? Because look at the next verse. The crowd was there. And heard it and said that it had thundered. <laughs> Anybody around on, uh, what was that, Friday, Saturday nights? Anybody have a little storm at their house? Come on. I mean, it was so loud that it woke me up. It thundered. And I'm telling you, when God speaks, he sometimes whispers. But he also sometimes thunders. And people, he wanted them to hear it. And it says there, others said an angel had spoken to him, but Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time 
for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Today, I want to talk about something that is not a comfortable subject for me to talk about. It's not one that's easy, to be honest with you, to talk about it. Because I don't want to give more glory to this individual than he deserves. But the Bible tells me that as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I've got to give the whole story. Hello? And in Jesus' discourse here with his disciples on this very first day of the Passion Week, there's something and someone he mentions, and it's for a purpose. Go back to verse 31. He says, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Satan, whom Jesus called the prince of this world, was about to inflict as much pain and suffering upon Jesus as he could. You cannot tell me that Jesus suffered only at the hands of men. I believe that those men who made our Lord and Savior suffer had literally the anointing and the infilling of Satan himself as they did it. Satan was in a rage at this moment. He did not want, (laughs) he did not want the Savior of the world to come about and to save the world. But Satan overstepped his boundaries. Satan thought that he was going to defeat Jesus once and all. But we know the end of the story, don't we? Satan did not defeat Jesus. Satan could not defeat Jesus because Satan is a created being while Jesus is the eternal one. He is, he was, and he is to come. He has always been, but Satan has always not been. But I do want to talk about him a little bit today. You see, Jesus had a message for Satan. And I know I'm paraphrasing it here. But I believe that Jesus said, was saying in this passage here something like, Satan, take your best shot because my death is about to unleash life. He said, you may put me in the ground, but out of the ground is going to spring life. Out of the ground is going to spring so much harvest and life. Colossians chapter 2, 13 says, When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Oh, that's good. He took our sins and nailed it to the cross. And then verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I love this passage. You see, this passage tells us that Satan was a power, and he was an authority. 
And Satan tried to come along and say, Jesus, I'm going to make you suffer now. And he taunted him. Why, do you understand why the death of Jesus and the suffering of Jesus was so great? Because the enemy was taunting him. He had tried to tempt him before, and it didn't work. Now he's taunting him. Oh, who are you? Who are you, great king? I, you're such a great king. Here's your crown of thorns. Ha <laughs> And he placed the crown of thorns on him. Oh, who are you, great king? You think you're such a great king? And they placed a purple robe on him. And they pressed it against the open wounds on his back so that the blood would coagulate onto the robe. And as they would rip it off every little bit, they, it would be like ripping off every single scar that was there. And the enemy, this is the enemy, would sit there and he would say, ha, 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 oh, you're such a great king. But my Bible tells me in Colossians that in the cross that he disarmed the powers and authorities. What does that tell us? He disarmed Satan at the cross. He has no more of his own authority. And watch this. That wasn't enough for Jesus. It says he made a public spectacle of him. Now, I know. Just go ahead and call this the PR translation or the PR commentary, Pastor Ricky's commentary. But I believe that in making a public spectacle, because we don't have time to go there, but there is a passage of Scripture that talks about how that if he ascended, how in Ephesians, he also descended. And in other words, it is believed through many passages of Scripture that, that during that time between the cross and the empty tomb, that Jesus actually descended into hell and he released the prisoners by his blood of people who were there who shouldn't have been there. And there's a whole, I, get, I know already there's so many questions. Don't worry about it. We'll get to it one day, not today. But in one point, I really believe that, that Jesus just grabbed that old scrawny little devil by the neck and he paraded him in front of those he had tormented for too long. And he said, this is the one that thought he could defeat me, but he can't defeat me. He will not defeat me. He has never defeated me. And now I'm going to make a public spectacle of him. Can I tell you, every time somebody gets saved, we're making a public spectacle of Jesus and his defeat of the enemy. Every time you are set free from another sin in your life, God is saying, I am making a public spectacle of the enemy. You see, Satan thought that by placing a crown of thorns and a little robe on Jesus that, that he could mock him. God doesn't stoop to Satan's tactics. He made a public spectacle of them. You see, the enemy could not defeat Jesus. The enemy is a defeated foe, a dethroned prince, a humiliated former superpower because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen to that? I want you to just say this out loud. I know I have you repeat a lot of things, and a lot of it's declarations, and that's good. But I want you to repeat this. 
I want you to repeat with Scripture what Scripture says. It says this. Satan, come on. Satan will soon be crushed underneath my feet. Come on, somebody. He is a defeated foe. That's why, again, I don't like to talk about him so much because I don't want to give him more glory than he deserves because he doesn't deserve any glory. Jesus defeated him. But because he couldn't defeat Jesus, Satan now wants to thwart those who are carrying out the mission of Christ. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going we're gonna to definitely talk about this one. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You see that? Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. You see, there is a real enemy. He's been around for a while, but as we've already stated, he hasn't been from everlasting to everlasting. He's created. He has authority, but he does not have all authority. He likes to make you think he has all authority, but he doesn't. He's considered a prince of darkness, but he's not the king of anything. And I love that what Peter says here. It says he prowls around like, somebody say like, like a roaring lion. Why is he like a roaring lion? Because Satan is an imposter. He's a poser. And he's a cheap imitator of the true lion of the tribe of Judah. Can I tell you, Satan never had an original thought. (laughs) All he does is cheap imitations. You see, Satan cannot stop the plans of God, but he can try to disrupt those who carry it out. This is an important point. This is the primary point if, if, if I'm really getting truthful here. He cannot stop the plans of God, but he can try to disrupt those who carry it out. You see, God's plans are going to be accomplished no matter what. Hear me, church. God's plans are going to be accomplished no matter what. We saw that so well when we were talking about the Old Testament and when we were talking about the children of Israel. I firmly believe that the children of Israel were designed to leave Egypt, go into the desert for a couple of weeks, learn some lessons, and then go into their promised land. That's the way the scripture sets it up. But yet, they chose to complain. They chose to whine. They chose to rebel against authority and not submit themselves to the authority God had given them. They chose on their own to follow the deceitful lies and ways of Satan. And through doing that, they wandered around the desert for 40 years until every at least man, and I believe most women, died that were of warrior age. Then the next generation was able to take the land. The original design for God was for those original Israelites to subdue the land. But they didn't. But how many of you know God's plans still came about? He still had a people to conquer Canaan land. And he still has a people that now dwell in that land. But those people missed out. 
So the enemy just figures, if I can't stop the plan and the will of God, I'm going to stop as many people from getting involved in it as I can. And that's where we come today. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 17 through 19 says, But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a very short time in person, not in thought, this is Paul speaking, out of our intense longing we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come back to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. Have you ever seen that before? Have you ever just skipped over that and just thought, oh, that was just a metaphor that Paul was saying? No. Let me tell you why. Because the Greek word there for Satan means, and it's literally spelled, I think I have it. Yeah, I do have it up here. Satanas. S-A-T-A-N-A-S. It means adversary. One who opposes another in purpose or act. The name given to the prince of evil spirits, the inveterate adversary of God and Christ. Again, please understand me, and I need everyone, including the princes of darkness that might try to hang around, I need them to understand that Satan cannot defeat the will of God. He can't. But he will do everything he can to inflict as much pain, as much suffering, and to to derail what God wants to do in certain people's lives. And if people who have a free will choice follow him, then they've lost. God has a plan for everyone in life. In everyone in life, do you agree with that? Yes. He has a plan for everyone. Plans to prosper them, give them a hope and a future. But you've got to choose to step into that plan. Mm. Either I'm teaching something right now that you need to hear, or I don't know. <laughs> I want you to go to this next part of the verse. It says, "But Satan blocked our way." What's the word "blocked" there? It means to cut into, to impede one's course by cutting off his way, to hinder. Paul the Apostle, undoubtedly what we would call one of the greatest apostles of all, writing two-thirds of the New Testament through his letters to the churches, said, Satan blocked our way. I know a few preachers who might rebuke Paul for saying that. Oh, you're not speaking positive there, Paul. I mean, let's not, let's not. Sit. Paul was just saying, hello, he hindered us. Now, he doesn't go into explanation of how or why or what. We have other examples that we're going to get to. But he said he did hinder us. He hindered us from getting to you. If Paul, the apostle of Christ, could be hindered, how many of you think that we might be hindered? by the enemy's plans as well. I want my wife to come. She's going to tell you a testimony of something that happened to her. And Chuck, is this white one on? Good. In Mexico. Okay, so this has been a few years ago, but it was brought up recently uh, when Brother Dole Jones came and spoke uh, to our congregation. So back in the day, I went with Brother Dole Jones to Mexico and... um, it, what I found out was it was his very first church plant, and we went and we spent about six to seven weeks there planning a church. And while we were there, there were different times when the enemy came against members of our team. And at one point, uh, one night, I got really, really sick, and just in the middle of the night, just kind of woke up very delirious, not really just knowing something was really wrong, but didn't know what, burning up with fever, just probably the hottest fever I've ever had in my whole life. And um, I was trying to get to some water, 
in the kitchen is concrete floors, and I passed out. And the leader who was with us, uh, Mrs. Boyle was her name, she doesn't remember ever waking up. She just, when she woke up in her first memory of this whole event, she was holding my head in her hands, and she had caught my head just right before it hit that concrete, which was just such a miracle of God. And so there I am, passed out on the ground, and she wakes up, and she's holding my head, not really sure what's happening. And which that right there was the beginning of the the miracle. And so immediately every woman in the house that was there with us, there were 12, I think about 11 or 12 of us, were immediately awakened. And they all said later they don't know how they woke up because there was no noise. There wasn't like it. They just knew everyone was immediately awakened by the Holy Spirit and came there to where I was, passed out on the ground. And they just began to pray in the Spirit. And they literally prayed in the Spirit for about two hours because none of us knew what to do. We didn't have a phone to like, we couldn't call 911. And they didn't know what was wrong with me. They knew I was burning up with fever. They knew that I had obviously passed out and didn't know what to do. And the Lord just revived me. And just after a little while, it was about three hours total from the time they woke up to the time that I was completely healed. God totally restored me and healed me. And we know that that was just a fight from the enemy. And a couple things happened later on. I found out that that very night, my mother had been awoken in the night uh, to pray for me, feeling like the Lord was speaking to her, that the enemy was coming against us. And then um, the other thing was that, I mean, it happened to several members of the team as well. And we would just each time the Lord would miraculously somehow, and we would we would pray them through until they were healed. Um, because that we that was our only choice. There was no ER doctor. We were up in the high mountains of, of Mexico. And um, anyway, long story short, that was their very first church plant. And Brother Dole Jones, when he was here, told us that they have since planted 20 churches. 40. 40. 40. That's right. It was 40. 40 churches altogether, 40 churches in Mexico. And that was the very first one. And, you know, the enemy had, you know, just really tried to stop. From the beginning of that trip, we couldn't get into the border uh, we had to sit at the border for three days, and then we ended up, uh, just a long story short, a, a man from Mexico came with a bus, uh, a van, and picked us up. We left all of our stuff. We had to leave it there. We could only cross over all of the food we had brought and everything. We had to leave it there. And, I mean, there was just one thing after another, but God would just somehow overcome each time. And that church man. was planted. The church is still there today. Yeah. And, you know, 40 more churches have been planted, and I believe that that was just the beginning that the Lord needed us to just push that thing through in order to make way for the other churches that were coming and the souls that would be saved. There was just a mighty harvest. I mean, it's I, I have no idea how to, to even calculate now from that time until now the people who are saved because of that trip and us pushing through like that in prayer. So, you know, even though the, the enemy tried to hinder us, the Lord saw us through. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yeah, that's good. You see, somebody says, oh, you know, Satan's just giving me a really bad day day because I've got bad hair. Hello? You know, I, I just have a really bad hair day, so it must be the enemy. I'm not talking about that stuff. Hello? I have a bad hair day every day, and it's not Satan's fault. It's called hereditary, right? Come on. <laughs> Thank you, sir. 
You see, I'm not talking about that. But I'm going to tell you something now that you need to hear. If you are going to attempt to be involved in the mission of Christ, you are going to be hindered at some point by the enemy. It's going to happen. We should not be surprised at the trials and the tribulations that come. I think that many of the trials help us, and they do, and even the tribulations help strengthen us. But I believe many of the tribulations that the Scripture talks about are actually attacks of the enemy to distract us from where we're supposed to go. I could give you dozens of stories from mission trips I've been on, from ministry outreaches. I, I remember one time, a couple of you in the house will remember this, that we were having an outdoor uh, VBS, and it was a kind of a uh, circus theme. And so I borrowed one of my good Baptist pastor friends' circus tent. It wasn't a circus, it's an evangelistic tent. But we borrowed his tent, and we put it outside our little trailers that we were renting at the time at New Day Church. And we put that out there, and we had about 150 kids show up from the neighborhood and the surrounding neighborhoods. It was one of the most mind-blowing outreach events we've ever done. We were going into daycare centers. We were going in the neighborhoods. It was really cool. We had this team that just called us and said, I know you don't know us, but we want to come and help you pull off uh, a VBS this summer, blah, blah, blah. It was amazing. And literally hundreds of kids just, or dozens of kids just packed into this tent. And one day I remember it so distinctly. As the gospel is about to be preached, as we get to that point in that VBS service where the gospel is going to be preached and kids are going to come and they're going to get saved, a storm came up just like that quick. I mean, we are in Texas, right? But I remember watching that storm from afar off. And immediately I knew two things. I knew, number one, there's no way we can get 150 kids and workers and everything else into that little tiny trailer right there. The second thing I knew is I live in Texas. I don't want to be in a trailer when a storm like that is coming. <laughs> Those are two things. And I saw this storm, and it was huge, and it was rolling in, and it was rolling right towards us. And so a couple of the workers came to me and said, Pastor Ricky, in fact, one of them was a new convert, and a big guy, and he was like, Pastor Ricky, I, I, we got to do something. I don't know what to do. Can we send everybody home? I said, there's no time to send everybody home. I said, we got to do one thing. we got to pray. And we began to pray, and we surrounded that tent, Chad. And as God is my witness, and there's a couple here who can testify to this, we watched that storm come in like this and then split and go around the property. And then I looked back, and I watched it come back on the other end. I'm telling you, the enemy will do whatever he can to hinder, to distract the plans of God. But how many of you know God is greater? God is so much greater. I want to get to a couple of things before we're done. There is a difference in being fearful of your enemy and being aware of your enemy. There's a difference between being fearful of your enemy and aware of your enemy. Peter didn't say, be fearful of Satan. He said, be aware of his schemes. Paul was not fearful of Satan, but he was aware of his schemes. The ten spies were afraid of the giants in the land. But there were two spies, Joshua and Caleb, who were aware of the enemy. They didn't doubt the enemy, but they said, we can take him because our God is with us. 
That's the attitude we got to have with the enemy. We must be alert and aware that the enemy is still on the prowl. In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira were part of the beginning of the greatest revival of history. Yet they were caught in the cunning craftiness of the enemy's scheme of greed. In Acts chapter 5, it lays it out there. And Peter said to Ananias, as he brings his offering, lays it at the apostles' feet, knowing full well he had kept some of the offering for himself. And then he lied to the men and saying, you, this is our whole offering. This is everything we got from the sale of the land. Peter said to Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart and that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? And have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what happened. (laughs) Scripture says, don't fear the one who can kill your body. But fear the one. Who can throw it into hell? Two different individuals. I need you to hear this today. In one of the greatest moves of the Spirit, arguably the beginning of the church, there were still those who said yes to Jesus and then said yes to Satan. And I'm telling you here, you cannot have it both ways. Young people, listen to me. No matter what you feel, no matter how powerful you feel, no matter how awesome you feel, you cannot have it both ways. You cannot serve both God and mammon. And what is mammon? Mammon is not simply money. It's a God of money. It is a God of greed. And Ananias and Sapphira were trying to serve both, and they found out quickly they couldn't. You can't serve two masters. Think about it. Ananias and Sapphira were meant to be listed with the saints of old in moving the kingdom of being forward, but instead for being struck dead during an offering time. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul mentions several of the early church members and missionaries by name. 2 Timothy 4, 19 says, Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone on to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get John Mark and bring him with you. Oh, I wish I had time to talk about John Mark. Because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left at Carpus with Troas. And my scrolls, especially the parchments. Verse 14. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. Watch this. Demas chose the world over the mission of Christ. And Paul the apostle was not afraid to call him out. I believe that Paul believed, and you can see this in Corinthians, that he believed that if they were called out and the truth were told, that they could possibly be able to come back to Christ. That's what happened with John Mark. Story I don't have time to go into. But then he mentions Alexander. He mentions this metal worker. I don't believe through the scripture that he was a saved individual or even considered that he was a follower of Christ at all. But yet he was someone in that city that caused problems. Do you think that the people in your life when you're stepping out the mission of Christ that are causing you problems are really the people causing you problems? 
If you believe that the people that are causing you problems are on their own causing you problems, you need to think again. Now, again, I'm not talking about a cranky neighbor. Hello? I'm talking about someone who is opposing the message of Christ when you're trying to minister to it at your workplace. Opposing the message of Christ when you're trying to step out in faithfulness and true to the Word of God. And they step against you. Recognize what it is. It's the enemy. It's the enemy. It's the spirit behind them that is encouraging them and prompting them. So you say, so I can just go ahead and cast it out? Sure, go right ahead. Nail it to the cross and cast it out if you want because you have to recognize what's happening. Let's keep going. Verse 16, 2 Timothy 4. At my first offense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And listen to this. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Have you ever seen that before? Maybe you just read over it and thought, oh, that was probably when Paul was out in the wilderness and attacked by a lion. No. Look at the context again. He's talking about evil attacks by men, by women, against the message of Christ when he is out delivering the message. And he says, I was delivered from the lion's mouth. What lion is he speaking of? 1 Peter 5.8. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around. What? Like a roaring looking for someone to devour. Both Peter and Paul called the enemy like a lion. An imposter lion. Here he comes up again. Can I tell you something? The imposter lion may have wanted to derail the message and devour the messenger. But the lion of the tribe of Judah delivered the messenger and the message was spread throughout the world. You cannot mess with the lion of the tribe of Judah when he's on your side. Uh, There's so much. I want to close with these four things. How do we defeat that imposter lion? We defeat him like the New Testament church did. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the Bible says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Do you remember in our original definition of the church that part of what we were supposed to be doing is destroying darkness? Why don't we talk about that very much? We're supposed to be wreaking havoc on hell. We're supposed to be plundering hell and populating heaven. We're supposed to be destroying the works of darkness. But I believe so much that the enemy has us so wound up in the things of this world so many times that we forget what part of our purpose is. Yes, part of our purpose is spreading love. Come on, somebody. Part of our purpose is spreading joy. Yes, it is. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what the kingdom of God is. I understand that. But part of our purpose is to destroy the works of the enemy to destroy the works of darkness. And may I just go ahead and add, by doing those things, we are doing that. 
But our job is to continue that mission just like the New Testament church did. You see, the New Testament church had a different view than many of us. And I pray that today that we would get this view and get this perspective. First of all, they had an eternal view. They recognized that they were sojourners, strangers, aliens in this world. Revelation 12, verse 11 says, They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. You see, yes, their testimony was out there, but they also had this perspective that you can kill this body, but you cannot take my soul because it already belongs to the eternal one. My soul is eternal. And even if you kill this body, you are not going to defeat me. Just like you thought, Satan, you defeated Jesus, you couldn't defeat him. Death could not defeat him, and death cannot defeat us. It can't. We're resurrection people. They knew, the New Testament church knew, that to live is to Christ, but to die is gain. If the worst the enemy can do is kill us, then he's only doing us a favor by getting us to heaven sooner. Come on, somebody. I I told you this was a difficult one to preach because we don't want to think about these things. Death is the final thing, pastor. You know, once it's dead, it's final, it's over. No, it's not. It's just beginning. It's just beginning. And if we can get that eternal view, that eternal perspective, that if I should die, I will be with him. The New Testament church also had a vision view. What does that mean? It means they knew where they were going and what their purpose was. They knew what they were to accomplish. Let me say it this way. And I don't know if you'll agree with this, but just hear me out. Most people don't have a sin problem. And you're like, Pastor, I definitely don't agree with you on that. Most people I know have a sin problem. Just hear me out. Most people don't have a sin problem. They have a vision problem. You see, when I find and I talk to individuals, like I I talked to an individual this week and they told me their incredible testimony about their life and how that on Sunday, this past Sunday, in this church they gave their heart and life to Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. 20 by 20. We are two down. We're 18 to go. Now, here's the interesting thing. As I, as I heard this testimony, they told me that they actually had been in church, had been raised in church, kind of a messed up thing, but they had been raised in church, and they got distracted. They said an event happened in their life that caused them to get off of the tra- trajectory that they had for their life, and they lost their vision. They had a very specific thing I won't go into that they were going to go into, but because of something that happened when they were 17 years old, they couldn't do that any longer. And from that moment on, this individual said, I began to drink, I began to do things, I began to go into a lifestyle of sin. They said, I always loved God, and I believe that. I totally believe Him. I always loved God, but, but, but all of this stuff just began to pile up on top of me. And now, they say, I have, I have vision again. I have purpose again. So hear me. I'm not saying sin is not an issue, but I am saying the more vision you have, the less sin is an issue. Say it again. The more vision you have, the less sin is an issue. I wasn't going to tell this, but do you remember David? Why did David fall? 
You remember David? Why did David sin with Bathsheba? Well, he was full of lust and everything. We could argue some of that. But the Bible's very clear. When kings went out to war, David was on his rooftop. When kings went out to war, David was on his rooftop, bored. And that is when sin entered in. If David would have been completing his mission and his vision as a visionary king and leader, continuing to go to war and defend Israel, he would have never been in this situation with Bathsheba. We would have never had that story. And I would have been happy without that story because it always causes a problem with stuff. How is David a man after God's own heart? If he... It's another time. Do you hear me? Paul said, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Then verse 13, he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We've got to get our vision right. Thirdly, really quick, they had a humble view. Before Peter encourages the believers to be alert of the enemy's schemes, he says right before that this, in the same way, 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Ooh, that's another one right there. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. See, he didn't leave everybody out. He included us all. Because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And then he says, and watch out. Be sober. Be alert. What was Peter saying? He was saying, when we have a humble view, we're able to actually defeat the enemy in our lives. Because pride is what made Satan fall in the first place. And when we allow pride to come into our life, we will fall just as he did. Pride does not become the people of God. Amen? Amen? Then the final view that they had was a harvest view. Jesus taught them to lift up their eyes and see that the harvest is ripe. We are part of Christ's triumphal entry. He's coming again. He's coming again. In 2 Corinthians, he says, But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. The enemy is a defeated foe. We need to recognize that. Stop giving him more glory than he deserves. But we also need to recognize that at this time, he still does have some limited authority and power. But he has no power and authority over me. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Do you have the blood of Jesus on you? Then he has no authority to come into your life. The only authority Satan has is what authority we give him. If we don't give him any authority in our lives, he can take no authority. He only takes what we give him. And you say, but what about sickness? What about these hindrances? What about these things? Yes, there are things that he can do, that he's allowed to do. Hear that, child of God, that he's allowed to do. Even in the Old Testament, he couldn't touch Job without God's permission. 
He's limited. Look at your neighbor and say, he's limited. Now look at your neighbor and say, but my God's unlimited. Come on. My God is unlimited. He is not limited. He has all authority. He has all power. He has all wisdom. He has all grace. He has everything that you and I need to accomplish His mission, His vision, His purpose, and to defeat the enemy in the meantime. He does. I love that song. I'm just going to quote it. Because the enemy has been defeated. Death couldn't hold you down. We're going to lift our voice in victory. We're going to make your praises loud. Because the enemy has been defeated. Death couldn't hold you down. We're going to lift our voice in victory. We're going to make your praises loud. Then it goes, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Shout unto God with the voice of praise. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. We will lift your name up. We lift your name up. We need to lift our voice in triumph. And I'm going to just go ahead and say it. Come next Sunday, don't be silent. I don't care if you're bringing your great-grandma to the service next week. Do not be silent. I don't care if you've been trying to minister to your neighbor, but you haven't quite told them that, uh, oh, yeah, I go to a charismatic church. And, then, uh, you know, and so you're just a little nervous about that. Do not be silent. We got to lift his name up because that is what will defeat the enemy in our lives and it's what's going to defeat the enemy in their lives. He is the triumphant one. And we're going to praise. We're going to worship. We're going to sing. We're going to shout next Sunday. We're going to shout this Friday night. We're going to sing his praise. We're going to not be ashamed. And we're going to see people come to Christ. Hello? I said we're going to see people come to Christ. I don't know if you know what happened last Sunday, but it was a powerful service. God moved in this place. There was some stuff that happened. And then somebody committed their life to Christ. Can I tell you, just practically, that many of the people that are going to come to Christ in this church or in any church in the Metroplex probably had either a presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to them at one time or had a relationship and walked away from it. I would say in my best estimates, three-quarters of the people that come to Christ are going to be like that, at least as adults, you understand. Let's not discount that. Let's not allow the enemy to continue to destroy people's lives Let's say, no, Satan, not today. Not today, not on my watch. You can hinder me, you can distract me, you can try and derail me. But I, like Paul, am going to say, my God delivered me. My God delivered me and I delivered the message. Can you stand up? Caleb, can you come to the keyboard? I want to close with two things. First of all, I want to close with the body of Christ ministering to one another for just a minute or so. And then secondly, I want to close with us praying for our unsaved friends and loved ones. So first of all, how many of you in this room would say, Pastor Ricky, the enemy has been trying to hinder me. I know for a fact 
that the, that the enemy has attacked me. And I, like Paul, am willing to recognize it and call it out. That I know lately the enemy has come against me, my family, whatever. Maybe you'll be willing to raise your hand. Okay, can you keep that hand raised? Those of you that don't have your hand raised simply means that right now that hasn't happened. It's happened maybe in the past. If you're a believer, it has. But right now, you don't feel that. Would you go to somebody right now and lay your hands on them? Come on, keep your hand up. Let's let the body of Christ minister to one another right now. Would you just pray for them? Would you just say, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for my brother, for my sister. Lord, I thank you for their life, for who they are, for what they're doing. But God, right now I come to you and I ask and I ask you to support them and to uphold them and to lift them up. God, even as I lift them up right now, God, I pray that you would minister to them, that you would bring wholeness and healing to their bodies, their lives, their minds. And we come against the enemy of our souls right now in the name of Jesus. And tell that enemy you are a defeated foe. You can no longer continue in this attack. We stop it here now in the name of Jesus. Cease and desist right now. Our God is greater. The lion of the tribe of Judah is on our side. And we call you out, imposter lion, and tell you, you're not going to devour this one in Jesus' name. He rescues us. He rescues us from the mouth of the lion. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Encourage one another in the Lord. Hallelujah. Now what I want us to do is I want us to lift up the names of individuals that you've been praying for, inviting, talking to. Would you just do that right now? Just begin to lift up their name right now in the name of Jesus. God, we just lift up these names to you right now, God. God, we lift them up to you in the name of Jesus. Give us opportunities. Give us open doors to speak into their life, God. God, we thank you that they are going to come to Christ. We thank you, God, that they're going to recommit in their life to you, Jesus. That maybe they knew you, maybe they walked with you at one time. But God, through hurt, through pain, through the attack of the enemy, whatever, God, they've walked away, but now they're walking back. God, we just pray for them in the name of Jesus that you would remove every obstacle, God, every sickness, every excuse in Jesus' name would be removed from them right now. God, we lift them up to you right now in the name of Jesus. God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you for lives changed, for bodies healed, for minds renewed, for deliverance. In the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Can we just say again, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We honor you, God. God, we thank you that you will soon crush Satan underneath our feet. 
We thank you that you're the soon and coming king. We thank you, God, for baptizing us in the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Jesus, for your love and your grace and your mercy. I just pray over these people in Jesus' name as we walk out of this place that we would walk in the authority that you have given us, that we would walk in the power that you have provided for us. And God, that as we go into this community, Lord, that you would give us opportunities to share your love, the power of God with others. Healing, grace, and deliverance with those we come into contact with. In the name of Jesus. Everyone that agrees with that said, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. We'll see you Wednesday and then again on Friday night. God bless you.